Hello and welcome to another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. I'm Chris Sork, alongside D. Lou here to my right, as there's a new head football coach at Kansas State. His name is Chris Kleiman. He what? Is the, yeah. Wait, I thought it was uh, Seth Luttrell. Pete said so. Now, unfortunately, some things fell apart there, which we'll, we'll get into, of course. I'm going to do some reading here during the rest of this intro to catch up. Catch up, catch speed on that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so Chris Kleiman's a new man, uh, named yesterday uh, about 7 o'clock uh, is when the official release came out uh, that Chris Kleiman was going to be, is going to be the next head coach at K-State. And, uh, of course, there's kind of been a lot that's happened here in the last week to 10 days. Uh, we'll, I'm going to do a quick recap here for you. Uh, Sunday, December 2nd, was the announcement that Bill Snyder is retiring or being forced out, however you want to uh, phrase that. Um, then, of course, in the in the next several days after that, there was plenty of speculation that Seth Luttrell, of course, uh, was going to be the next head man. That deal fell apart, and he removed himself from uh, consideration early Friday morning on the 7th. Then after that, it became essentially a three-man race for the coaching position between uh, Mike Norvell uh, of Memphis, Neil Brown of Troy University, and Chris Kleiman of North Dakota State. Chris Kleiman was announced last night, the 10th, wrapping this thing up in a little over a week. So, um, a somewhat expedient search, I guess. Uh, it wasn't going to last, uh, you know, I didn't think it was going to last much longer uh, after or after uh, Seth Luttrell kind of removed his name from the running. It became pretty apparent to me that Chris Kleiman was going to be the man uh, that uh, would ultimately uh, get the offer and accept that offer to become the next head coach at Kansas State. I want to bring in uh, D. Louie here to the podcast um, as, as I kind of run back through that timeline of, of Coach Snyder uh, stepping down and Chris Kleiman uh, being announced as the next head coach at K-State, the, the press conference for that uh, will come at you on Wednesday afternoon. I believe I saw a noon time for that, but uh, I don't know if a time had necessarily been set yet, but I believe I saw some media folks tweeting out that noon was the uh, – the time for that, uh, but as I kind of run back through that timeline, uh, Dilu, what uh, what are your impressions uh, about how we got here, and and uh, I guess where we're at now? Well, I want to start off by saying, uh, and we'll get into this more here in a little bit, but uh, personally, I'm absolutely behind Kleiman. I uh, I hope uh, he's able to you know do some big things at K State and. I have no reason to think that uh, he doesn't have that capability. But as, as we run back through the timeline, you know, it's still so early in this, uh, in getting news after the search, that it's hard to really know what to believe. I mean, some people are reporting that the Latrell deal fell through because of conditions on uh, the assistant coaches, whether some needed to be retained, whether a certain number needed to be retained, 
whether individuals needed to be retained. Um, and I don't know whether, if you buy into that theory, I don't know whether it's because of finances. I don't know if it was because of personal guarantees to Snyder or what. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Kellis Robinette today in his Q&A, he reported that that theory is completely bunk, uh, that Kleiman was the quote-unquote leader in the clubhouse from the get-go, and it was always his his job to lose, basically. Mm-hmm. And either way, um, I find that whichever one of those is true, if, if, you, if you believe that one of those is true, then it's... I find it extremely troubling, and I find it uh, just a really disappointing way to conduct a search if you're Gene Taylor. Um, you know, if if it is conditional on coaches hanging around, then why is that? Did K-State paint themselves into a corner contracting? Uh, did Gene make an irresponsible promise to Snyder or to the assistant coaches that they would outlast Snyder. Um, if it's the other theory that Kleiman was always the leader, then why the fans, the, at least the fans were vocal about these sorts of things. The fans that really talk, everybody I've talked to basically was adamant that Kleiman shouldn't be hired, that, that, the, that we wanted Latrell. And well, and I wouldn't even say we – I mean, yes, we did want Latrell, of course. That was our preference. Um, I think Brent Venables also was, you know, at the top of that list. But yeah. the likelihood of that, I think, was always a bit of a long shot. And, um, you know, I just um, – and as Drew here cracks open a nice Mountain Dew, oh, yeah. uh, I, I have a tough time thinking that it was any type of real serious conversation with Brent Venables, other than more than just a, a text message saying, hey, is this something you'd be interested in? Or a phone call saying, hey, are you interested in this? Or reaching out to an agent, something like that. Uh, but with Latrell, I refuse to believe that there wasn't some serious momentum behind all of this. Whether they had a contract that he was just waited or was wanting to sign or and they couldn't come to the exact terms of that whatever the case is well Kellis reports yeah, it, that that there wasn't an actual offer made to Latrell mm-hmm. at least not any kind of offer that Latrell could actually accept sign. yeah exactly and they Latrell finally got tired of waiting on in limbo uh Kellis put it and that's what caused him to withdraw his name See, I just have a tough time necessarily believing that with as much smoke as there was around Latrell's name, that there wasn't, it wasn't a little bit further down the line than that. That those interviews never really progressed. Now, maybe that's not true. I, I mean, that's just my opinion. However, I was listening in, uh, to KMAN, uh, the game on the way home today, and Kellis Robinette was on there, and and like he uh, and like you said, uh, Dilu, he um, likened it to golf. That in the clubhouse of who will be the next head coach at K State, before anyone else got out on the course, uh, Chris Kleiman had shot a 68, and it was going to take somebody going under that and really blowing it 
uh, Gene Taylor away for them to uh, to get the headman job at K State. Well, and if that's the case, I think it's a really, really lousy way to go about doing this. I mean, smart fans, smart college football fans, take it as a given uh, that the following is true: athletic directors shouldn't listen to who the fans want to hire to be their next head coach. Because they know best. Because athletic directors know best, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. But my thing, why shouldn't they listen to fans? The K-State football is our thing. It's our hobby. It's our passion. It's what we like. And fans are the ones who pay the money to these head coaches through their donations. And, you know, obviously... The ICE families of the world contribute a lot more and pay a lot more of that salary, and fair enough. Their their opinions should maybe matter more. But, you know, I think there's... I don't think we should be so quick to dismiss who the fans want just because the athletic director chooses to go his own way, especially when his own way constitutes... Uh, an old an old friend of his. I don't know. I think I think the whole thing is is really shady. I think it borderlines. I think it borders corrupt. Really? Yeah. Just because there is so little transparency that occurs with these things. We got to look a little bit behind the curtain in the in the Tennessee situation when all those FOIA emails were dumped mm-hmm. out. And we got to see where John Curry was traveling and who he was talking to and what he was saying and all the crazy mm-hmm. emails he was getting. But there is so much secrecy and so much intentional misdirection from both sides here, from you know the Latrell camp, for example, and the K-State camp, that we as fans have no idea what to believe. So now we're left with a situation of a guy who's our head coach and again, more power to him. Hope he succeeds and hope he wins championships at K-State. But the fact remains that we're left with a head coach that a week ago, K-State fans would have put him at or near the bottom of our list collectively. Sure. Now, some people were higher on him than others. Yeah, sure. But they're, I think it's, outliers, I think but, it's fair yeah. to say that collectively he would have been near the bottom. He would have been collectively, if you want to say the top tier is Levitt-Latrell, or not Latrell, Venables, um, Latrell, middle tier, somewhere a mixture of Mike Norvell, um, Neil, Neil, Neil Brown, Brown maybe. from Troy. I, yeah. I keep almost calling him Troy Brown. <laughs> That'd be the, a the, nice the, name too. <laughs> Troy former, Brown, coach of Yale University. The former uh, Patriots wide receiver and defensive back, uh, Troy Brown. But... And then, you know, there's a, a myriad of, of the, you know, some folks had Major Applewhite. I mean, there some ancillary type type folks. But a lot of those people preferred some even names that never even gained any traction, <clears throat> excuse me, to to Chris Kleiman. But here we are, you know, a week essentially after Bill Snyder is no longer the head football coach and Chris Kleiman gets a... What is a little over $2 million raise? Yeah, and it's touching on 800% uh, of his then salary. And we as fans, we don't get to know how that happened. Yeah, and unfortunately, 
With K-State, the way they have their athletic department set up, it is a private entity with K-State Athletics being um, its own private deal, essentially, to where, as we saw a little bit with the Tennessee situation and some other coaching search situations at, at other universities where they have the power to go and get some of this information due to Freedom of Information Act uh, type stuff, um, that's really not going to be able to happen here with K-State. Yeah, so so Gene Taylor hires a coach that I think it's fair to say uh, the majority, the a good portion of the vocal fan base would have preferred he gone to somebody else. And... Uh, and if you're curious as to how that happened, well, tough. Tough luck. Man. Tough luck. Um, don't forget to donate your money at the uh, Catbacker event this year. So the other thing, too, that really struck me odd about this is, and I kind of had alluded to this earlier, is that once Latrell wasn't working out, or once that he had removed his name from consideration, it was pretty obvious to me Chris Kleiman was going to be the next head guy was going to be the next guy. And I keep hearing from, you know, whether it's social media, message board, whatever the case is, that, oh, Gene cannot hire Chris Kleiman. The big donors, the the fan base will revolt. And, you know, I will say this. I'm a little surprised by how the fan base has received this. I would have anticipated it being a lot more negative. I, I'm surprised with how positive it is for the most part. But if you believe what you hear, the donors were not, the, the major donors anyway, I should say, were not, uh, were not necessarily in favor of Chris Kleiman. And with Gene Taylor uh, going with Chris Kleiman, it seems like he may have lost a little bit of equity and a little bit of trust with, with some major players in terms of uh, K-State's athletic donors. Well, and I think that that's a, a couple points. To your first point about the fan base actually responding more favorably than you expected, I think the reason for that is just because, man, a lot of the fan base instantly rejected Bruce Weber, for instance. Sure. And that sure. higher... Uh, and that also had to do... But that's a little bit different. Of a I know it's a different situation. Yeah, but, a little but my, bit different. But my point is, I think K-State fans really learned uh, from that situation. And I think that they learned that, um, first of all, being a, a Nancy negative doesn't... It's not fun, first of all. Because if, then, if, you, yeah. sit, if you sit back and cross your arms and say, I'm not going to... Yeah. I'm not going to watch K-State. I'm not going to root for K-State football anymore. We all like K-State football, and we all want K-State football to succeed. Sure. Because that's fun. Yeah, it's what... Yeah, absolutely. And then, if it does succeed and you're a Nancy negative, then then yeah. you don't... You feel like you're betraying yourself if, if you actually start yeah, having it's a, fun. it's a real catch-22. Yeah, and you so, have to eat your crow and move on. Yeah, so I think it's natural to, um, to come in and... You know, give him the benefit of the doubt and say, "Well, here we are. So let's let's uh, let's look for the silver linings here." And so I think that that's a, 
a reason that K-State fans are responding to this a little more favorably. To your second point about the trust uh, in Gene being a little wavered, I think that's deserved too. Because with this hire, Gene basically says to K-State fans, listen, I'm I'm the the athletic director. And I'm not even saying K-State fans. As the fan base as a whole, I'm saying even to a select few major, major players. To maybe a... To the railroad to, to, maybe, to maybe potentially the uh, 2016 Railroader of the Year. Wow. Well, that's a that's that's, that's that's an ally you don't want to have uh, turn on you. But but I'm speaking more broadly. I'm speaking to yeah, the fans. Sure. And, and and when I say fans, I'm including uh, prominent railroaders. Uh, because what Gene did with this hire, for better or worse, is he bet on himself and said, "Listen, I hear you. I see your tweets." He was responding to emails. Yeah. And, but with this hire, he's saying, everybody shut up. Stop talking about this. Stop talking about uniforms? No, stop talking about this other business. Well, everyone needs to shut up about the uniforms. Yeah, and we'll get to that later. That's later, though. Continue, sorry. Uh, But everybody shut up. I'm the athletic director, and I know best. I know who the best hire is. And so I'm going to hire him. And so... Maybe he's right, but that the message dictated to fans then is well. I guess my opinion, does, my opinion doesn't really matter. It, it's, or it's at, least, at least not worth anything at all because he because the athletic director is just going to choose uh, who he wants to choose, and that's it. Well, and that's that's why they're they're athletic directors. They. They have a, you know, that's why they get paid six figures to, to make these kind of decisions. Uh, it certainly is a decision that is going to not only impact Gen, uh, Gene Taylor's career at K-State. Will it, though? Gene, I mean, his career at K-State. But... Yeah, his career at K-State. I mean, obviously, this is probably going to be his only chance uh, to be a Power 5 athletic director. Yeah, and I'm seeing people say, oh, this is a risky hire for Gene Taylor. I agree that it, it, it might be it's a risky hire. For his but tenure at K-State. I don't yeah. think it's risky at all for him personally. He's a, he's, this like you said, this is his last stop. If this goes south, then he's not really risking his career on it because he's about to retire anyway, one would think. Now, if this was somebody younger, if, it's, if this was a younger AD, somebody... Like John Curry, for instance, yeah. who clearly has aspirations for bigger and better things, and he has ambition beyond Kansas State. Then I would say, yeah, this is a risky hire. He's betting his career, he's betting his future on this. But with Gene, he's betting some sort of, I don't know, intangible legacy uh, at K State that he never really had any ties to K State prior to this no, job. None. So really, he's gonna get he's he's a made man either way. And so I don't think that it's necessarily a super risky hire for him, personally speaking. I think it's a risky hire for Kansas State. But as far as Gene Taylor goes, I think it's a relatively easy hire because if it works out, he looks like a genius. And if it doesn't work out, then after then he rides yeah. off into the sunset. Exactly. With, with three years into you know climbing, results aren't where K-State fans expect. They probably are both out. Yeah, and by the way, he got his, he got his friend an 800% raise. Yeah. Good friend to have. Great friend to have. So, uh, but yeah, so I think that kind of covers, we both have very similar opinions on kind of how the coaching search process had has gone, has went, 
at this point as it's as it's now concluded. Let's shift our focus a little bit to the new head man of K-State and Chris Kleiman and what he brings to the table uh, as the coach of the Wildcats. Well, obviously, everybody it, yeah, knows it, the success he's I'll, had at I'll North Dakota State. I'll rattle him off here because I, I have the numbers in front of me. A uh, record of 66-7 and seven at North Dakota State. Uh, I believe five conference titles and three national titles is what uh, is what he's got working for him. It looks like uh, potentially national championship number four is uh, right on the horizon for him. Yeah, and he, he was he's began at North Dakota State in 2011, started there as a defensive back coach under Craig Bull, and then ascended to defense coordinator there. And that's when North Dakota State's program, well, it's, it started off getting really, really hot in 2011, his first year there as defensive backs coach, and then uh, continued um, while he was defensive coordinator. And since... Uh, He's taken over. They've just been completely dominant, and they've done that with partly because they have. Uh, it's one of those self-sustaining machines at this point, where it's they have a lot better talent than do their peers, and uh, they're also just really good. Yeah, and so yeah. it's. It'll be interesting to see how that translates. I mean, everybody knows about the question marks. Can he recruit at this level and so forth? Sure. But it's hard to really criticize him much about his time at North Dakota State. I mean, I was listening to Keatsman today, uh, the, King. the King. That's right. Talk about the sovereign one. Yeah, talk about you know he's saying, well, can Chris Kleiman coach? Well, I think it's clear that he can coach. I mean, and he asked that question because he thinks that the talent disparity between North Dakota State and the rest of the FCS is so yeah. is so big that uh, that he has he doesn't know whether North Dakota State success is due to just having better Jimmys and Joes than everybody else, or whether it's actually semi dependent on the scheme and and the actual coaching, but. I mean, I think that's a little disingenuous to ask. Is Nick Saban's a good coach? Yeah, no I think if Nick yeah. Saban came to Kansas State, he'd be a good coach. I think he would. If Saban was an all, had a chance to come to K-State, if K-State could have hired Saban, I'd say, yeah, hire him. He's yeah, good. At, he's guy, good at coaching college I've football. Ha- I've had my eye on him for a while. And it, so I don't. I think it's partly better players, but I also think it's a system and a, and a reputation to some degree. And I think that. Uh, there's certainly things to like about climbing. At the macro level, I view running a football program in three separate buckets. What's bucket number one? Player development. How well you are able to... I, I, I separate player development and recruiting into two separate things. Because recruiting is a little bit of, you know, how good of a, of a salesman are you in terms of getting these players to campus? And also a big part of recruiting is how good are you at identifying talent where others maybe don't see it. Right. So recruiting, we'll put that in one bucket. Talent development is you get the kids there, you know, maybe uh, some guys take a little bit longer to work with. You, you say, you know, this guy... I do see some talent in him, 
but he's not close to being a finished product. Coaching he, him it, up. It's it coaching him up exactly right. I see something in this guy. He's not going to be a player for us. Maybe in he's definitely not going to be a player for us in year one. Probably not year two. Maybe in year three he might be a player for us. But in years maybe four and five, if he has a red shirt available, this kid's going to be an important player on our team, and he's going to be a key contributor. So identifying that talent, and then the third bucket I would say is being a program manager, program organizer, someone who sees the whole picture. And that goes from surrounding yourself with best coaches, the best coaches you can, uh, at position coaches as offensive and defensive coordinators, and instilling a culture in that program. As we've seen at North Dakota State, there's no question they have a program of toughness. They're smart players, fundamentally sound. All the things, all the tired cliches you always hear about K-State. So that seems to fit a little bit. However, it's a different level between FCS, FBS. How will he, you know, be able to institute that program at or institute that kind of uh, demeanor of a program at a next level? That's something that no one has really the answer to. But when you look at his track record, it's a pretty good guy to bet on in terms of if if that can translate to the next to the next level. My biggest concern with of those three buckets, I think he checks off the player development. I think he checks off the program manager aspects. The recruiting's definitely the biggest question mark for me. Yeah, and we'll see how. And one one other thing though too, uh, before you know, I let you speak your piece on it, but. In terms of the program manager aspect, I do have a little bit of concern due to what kind of staff he might bring in, and which we'll we'll see here in the next week or two, probably what that looks like at. And I would say my only concern really with that is most of his time, except for I believe one year as a graduate assistant at KU 25, 30 years ago, whatever it was, um has been spent at the FCS level. However, he's well-respected in the business by coaches from all levels, and I feel relatively bullish that he would be able to put together a pretty darn good staff. Yeah, don't discount that Terry Allen coaching tree. That's right. That's, it's a coaching tree that many people admire. Yeah, we, there's obviously some question marks about his recruiting, about his assistant coaches. Those question marks were acknowledged throughout this process. Um and they remain today. And so we'll, we'll see how we can address those moving forward. I do think it's interesting that you have three buckets in terms of head coaching. Because I have 16. You have 16, do you? Yeah, the first one's commitment. The second one's unity. The third is unselfishness. 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 Okay. The fourth is, is, is improve. Is, is fifth pronunciation? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah. Get better, be tough. Um not, nah, but yeah, those are my sixteen uh, buckets of okay success. Um, well, do you want, do you care to run through each bucket and see how how you think Chris Kleiman? Not not particularly. Okay, uh, in the interest of time, but I trust. Oh, we got a, we got a, nothing but time, my man. You know, I wonder what. So, as an aside, so when we redid veneer, we decked that thing out in Snyder propaganda. Right Ooh, there's you know I like mean, where you're going. With this, you know right? what I mean. It's like the walkway has all the 16 goals and stuff everywhere, and we turned it into just like, uh, at, like literally the house that Snyder built. I I was I've been thinking like I wonder if the next coach is gonna like 
hang on to this 16 goals branding. It would it would be like if, you know, the next coach at Minnesota had to put up with all, like, and adopt the row the boat, boat yeah, stuff. Yeah, uh-huh. And so I wonder if he's like, no, actually, I also have some guidelines I've instilled. <laughs> in my I also place. got some things on my sleeve that I like <laughs> yeah. to get plastered on these walls. Yeah. And there's only six of those, so I don't know what they're... I don't know what we're going to do with the rest of these, you know, columns here. But uh, now, in terms of whether or not he fits the bills you discussed, I don't know. I mean, there, are, like, like I said, there are question marks uh, that uh, exist, and there would have been question marks with anybody we hired. But um, there's nothing we could say definitively uh, now, except we'll see. Well, you know, I. Saw where you were going with that, uh, with all the the signage and all the marketing material, whatever, propaganda, propaganda, whatever you want to say. Uh, you know, around the near and around the the stadium with you know uh, Coach Snyder. It, it makes me think, you know, back before they redid Bramlage here just this past off season with like. There was all that signage up top where it said "bounce pass, dribble, shoot <laughs> yeah. basketball." So was that jargon. all? Was that all? Uh, Lon Kruger's when he when he in, uh, inherited Bramlage back in in 1988 when it opened its doors. Yeah, it was. He used to just make. In fact, he made the players memorize all those terms. And I, I've heard stories that he would stop practice and he just yell, you know, "Hey, what terms above section four? <laughs> yeah. And if they did it, it was it was uh, suicides up and down till the till the guys were out of breath. Yeah, they'd throwing up on the sidelines. Well, and also they'd have team meetings. If we're before practice, they'd have team meetings where the coach would kind of give a little lecture and just a short five minute thing. And he'd ask, you know, he'd ask the power forward. He'd say, "Hey, uh, Doug, what what does the term bounce pass mean to you?" <laughs> Yeah, and they'd have to say, "Well, coach, it's a type of pass that," uh, and Lon would say, "No," and he'd go on in some really metaphorical diatribe about uh, courage and responsibility and those and so forth. Yeah, he'd probably be asking Reggie Britt what he thought, you know, what bounce pass means to him. Yeah, you know, just really getting Reggie on the spot there. Layup, lay, <laughs> a slam dunk. Oh, what's that mean to you, Reggie? God. Just, so, just thinking about those terms gets me fired up for that's some right. cat hoops. That's right. Well, um, yeah, so let's wrap it up here in terms of the K-State, the K-State uh, head football coaching search. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. It, it's done. It's over with. I'm going to ask you two things. One, give a grade to Chris Kleiman. I'm not asking about the process of him being the head coach, but give a grade on Chris Kleiman is the next head coach at K-State, and how successful do you think it's going to be? I'm asking you to look in the crystal ball here. Yeah, oh, luckily I I have my crystal ball right here on the counter. Uh, It says, uh, I I would would put it as as a B. I mean, I think that it's it's certainly not a slam dunk. I I don't think he was the safest bet. And when I say safest, I mean most responsible and the best candidate. But um, I think it's a B. There's things about him that you can like. There are question marks. But as, as a candidate, I'd put him as a B. I, I'm reasonably confident moving forward that he'll, he'll uh, do well at K-State. In terms of 
how I project him in terms of wins and losses, I think most years it'll be like uh, Snyder 2.0 was, which is to say that once every four or five years, it wouldn't surprise me if he was flirting with double-digit wins and in the mix for a conference title or something like that. Uh, I think probably three out of five years, he'll win six, seven, seven, seven to eight games, mm-hmm. seven, between seven and nine wins. And then I think one out of every five years, uh, I would expect him, excuse me, to be flirting with bowl eligibility. And uh, and honestly, that's okay. <laughs> Those aren't, if, if it goes like that, that's not bad. And it's, it's reasonable and it's more than a lot of programs can say. Uh, but that's that's what I would project him out to be. What about you? So I would go about a B as well. I don't. I think you can't say. I've seen some folks. Uh, I think CNN or CNN, CNN SI is what I was going to say from back in the old days. You remember when you had to oh go yeah S- S- Sports Illustrated CNN SI? Uh, <laughs> what but, a that's a what a tandem. Yeah, CNN and Sports Illustrated bringing bringing uh, coaching higher grades to you. Just like that. Exactly. Uh, but Sports Illustrated rated it like as a four out of five. So that's an 80%. Passing. It's also a B. Yeah. So I think we're in line with our, our friends at the uh, esteemed periodical, down Sports in, Illustrated. In down in Atlanta. That's right. And uh, I, my biggest question, like I said earlier, is how well is he going to recruit? It's... He doesn't have he, this year or well, this year this era of K State football under Snyder 2.0 has been mirrored by K State fans saying you know what we have these facilities we've had the success even after 2012 you know we are a game away from going to the national title we never really capitalized on any type of the on field momentum as you would expect with not only the the wins that we're having on the on the field, as well as the facility enhancements that we have ongoing at the same time. We never really quite capitalized on that the way many K-State fans would hope. And a lot of that is due to uh, Coach Snyder's philosophy of... Not recruiting. Not recruiting, essentially, <laughs> during the season. Yeah. His, it was his philosophy of... Eh. Somebody else. Yeah, not, not for me. I'll worry about it in January. So, when you have... A coach, presumably, that is not going to have that same outlook. I think K-State can recruit better just by the infrastructure they already have built. And that what's coming further down the line. So, with that being said, I think the recruiting will be significantly helped by just a willingness to do it. And also the infrastructure that we have in place and that we have coming down the line. So... That's kind of my thing. I also do have a little bit of question about how well is a coach going to translate from FCS to FBS. It doesn't happen a a ton. Uh, There are some really great hires that have done it. Uh, Jim Harbaugh goes from San Diego to being the head man at Stanford. Of course, Jim Tressel goes from Youngstown State to Ohio State. Frank Beamer. Frank Beamer. Murray State. Murray State to uh, Virginia Tech, and all of those coaches had great success. So it can be done. It's not. It wouldn't be the first of a a. Uh, wouldn't be unprecedented. It, it wouldn't be the first in a line of it. So 
And on the other side of the coin, though, there are certainly there, there, there are certainly failures. some there are certainly some failures, and uh, I remember one of them was I think Paul Wolf from uh, I can't remember where he was at. It was some small school, maybe I want to say like Portland State or something like that. Goes to uh, goes to Washington State and is fired in two years. So yeah, that that experiment happened at Washington State didn't pan out. Didn't pan out uh, one bit. So it uh, there's been success, there's been failure, uh, but ultimately time will tell as to what kind of coach Chris Kleiman is and uh, where he leaves this K State program going forward. Drew, is there anything else you'd like to add on this? Yeah, I just want to reiterate how disappointed I am. Pete of GoEmod.com for misleading us and really making what I think is some irresponsible reporting. And, you know, he's, he's been such a great uh, source for us and, and so spot on uh, in the past. Uh, but I want to issue a, a strong tisk tisk to Pete out at GoEmod.com. All right, strong words there uh, from D. Louie. So that'll wrap it up for the first segment of this week's edition of the Short Side Option. We'll be back after a short break to look at the K-State basketball team and a disappointing loss on the road to Tulsa, highlight another in the long list of Wildcat legends, and answer your questions and ask the icon with also a special tip to ask D. Louie. Oh. Here after the break. Right, welcome back to the short side option where we're turning our attention to the hardwood now as we review K-State's 46-47 to defeat at the hands of Tulsa. Wildcats traveled down to Tulsa on Saturday. Uh, we're embattled in a bit of a defensive slugfest. I wouldn't go necessarily that far. Uh, well, I'd say more of a... Offensive. It was a it was a defensive clinic put on by those two sides. Yeah, something like uh, that. Let's see. Um, leading scorer on the day was Xavier Sneed. Uh, he played pretty well. Uh, double double for him. Five of fourteen from the field. Ten points. I'm sorry, thirteen points. Ten rebounds. Uh, then as you go down the rest of the line, uh, not a whole lot to say. Jada had nine. Uh, but otherwise, of the starting five, you have Barry Brown with six points of three of 12 shooting. O of three from beyond the three-point line. Stokes, one of 12. O of four from three. Dean Wade, one of six uh, with two points. He also missed a three-pointer. And that's the recipe for how you score 46 points against Tulsa. It's, it's hard to win the game when the ball doesn't go in the hoop. Uh, that's, that's my high-level analysis. Yeah, 30, uh, 30% uh, from the field for K-State, 26% from beyond the arc. And, you know, I will say a, a, a hot 83% from the free throw line. However, when you only go there six times, um, not enough. And K-State, once again, uh, falls on the road, uh, come, having stretch, or stretching their losing streak now to two. Uh, having lost last week on the road uh, to Marquette, who did score a nice win over in-state rival Wisconsin uh, on Saturday, but I, uh, yeah, it was it was a game that really, if you if you would have thrown that game last year or thrown this game uh, and put on 
new jerseys for everybody and uh, had it back in Wichita. It looked exactly like the game last year uh, where K-State shot the ball terribly and lost to a team like the Tulsa Golden Hurricane who they had no business losing to. Well, and a lot of times, especially in the early season, you see K-State's going through some kind of crisis here shooting the basketball. Is that... How big of a problem do you think that is moving forward? Well, this was never a team that was going to be confused with a great shooting team, as a great shooting team. Okay? With guys like Dean Wade is a great is a good outside shooter. Uh, Xavier Sneed, hot and cold. Streaky, streaky shooter. Barry Brown, streaky shooter. I don't even know what to say about Kamal Stokes as a shooter. Uh, I, 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 mean, I think I, it's very easy to say. That he, he, has, he does have some stretches where he can shoot the ball well, but and it's all ties back to his form, which I'm not going to get into. But Look, get, in, get into it just a little bit. If you could critique his form, just give us the, the elevator pitch on Kamal Stokes' form. His right, arm, his right elbow flies out when he shoots the ball. And <laughs> when, you shoot, when you don't have good form, it's tough to be a consistent shooter. So that's the elevator uh, pitch on that. Um, but, you know, a couple of guys I thought did, I think the only two players that you can say played well, uh, Xavier Sneed and uh, Cartier Jada. Um, I thought Mike McGurl gave us some good minutes before going to the bench with an ankle injury. But, I mean, you can't have guys. You have your two all-Big 12 players, Dean Wade, Barry Brown, combining for eight points. You're not going to win when that – it's honestly amazing that K-State even had a chance to win this game with, uh, with the way, you know, their two best players performed. And when you look at – when you look at the final minute of that game, it's very interesting to me in a couple of different regards. Both teams did not really foul at all in the second half. So there was the crazy – game of kind of cat and mouse a little bit in terms of so K-State secures a rebound with about 18 seconds I believe it was uh, down by one Tulsa however has five fouls to give so they're able to go out and you know use that buffer of fouls to really just waste time and get K-State into a very rushed situation so while they had 18 seconds to score after they secured the rebound off of a Tulsa miss, they weren't able to get a shot at the rim until there was, you know, two seconds left on the clock. So really an interesting kind of way that this game ended. But uh, K-State, if they're going to have any success this year in conference play, it starts with Barry Brown and Dean Wade playing like first-team all-conference players. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's who's going to butter K-State's bread this year. And... Uh, that's obviously going to be a big problem if they can't get uh, that ship righted soon. I wanted to ask you one thing because we kind of talked about it a little bit last week. McCall Maywean. The bell cow. The bell cow. The man who moves. Uh, nine minutes on Saturday. He picked up his second foul of the game with 13.34 left in the first half. He picked up his third foul... 1853 left to go in the second half. Uh, what what happened? Well, to answer that, I'm going to go in a little bit of a bigger picture 
view of this. So, for the second straight game, K-State gets in foul trouble early on. Uh, against Marquette, it was Barry Brown and, and Xavier Sneed that go to the bench early on in that game, and K-State digs a hole in the first half uh, with them being out of the game that they never really are able to get out of and make it competitive in the second half. Uh, as Marquette's able to keep K-State at, at uh, more than arm's length, really. So, same thing happens here in the game against Tulsa. Maywean picks up two quick ones. Same thing with Dean Wade. So, Levi Stockard gets pressed into action, and he gives K-State some nice minutes. Only six of them, however, uh, but picks up three fouls, and he doesn't really uh, contribute much the rest of the ballgame. So, there's a couple different aspects there. So, to answer your question about McCall Maywean, part of the reason why you only see him having nine minutes is because of what Tulsa was doing defensively. Tulsa was playing, you know, one of, and I don't like this term, but I'm going to use it anyway. It's a junk defense, meaning, you know, it's a, it's a, it's not straight man to man. It's not straight zone. It's a matchup zone, which I could go on and on about what, what's behind that, but in interest of time, and also I doubt our listeners really want to hear the ins and outs of, of a, of a uh, matchup zone, but. Essentially, what dictates this is K-State felt it was a better fit for what they wanted to do offensively going small. So that's why you see Cartier Jada with 35 minutes in, in really playing pretty much a four-guard lineup. I think that that's, there's some logic to, to that fits that narrative of going small. However, this was a matchup, as I said last week, that K-State really had a huge advantage in going inside with, with both the bell cow and Dean Wade. And I thought even Stockard uh, had some opportunities in this game that, you know, he could go out and go get buckets. The jeans man? The jeans man. The, the, the denim man. Denim, denim Levi? Denim Levi. And, um... You know, K-State just didn't really uh, – I they weren't as – they weren't as cons- – they weren't as consistent as I wanted to see them in terms of pounding the ball inside and letting those guys go to work. So that was disappointing to me. But this goes back to the, uh, a whole different issue with what Coach Weber's philosophy is on guys with two fouls. If you have two fouls in the first half, unless you're Levi Stockard – you're not going back in. If you're dispensable, yeah. you're out. Or you're if, if you're indispensable, you're coming out. We'll see you in the second half. So, and I understand that he doesn't want those guys to pick up fouls, yada, yada, yada. He wants to keep them there for the end of the game, the stretch run. Okay. I, I understand that. And this is really honestly wasted breath, in my opinion, because he's not going to change it. He's not going to change his philosophy. He's done it his entire career. He's not going to. However, Mayween finishes the game with three fouls. Dean Wade finishes with two. Those are minutes you're never going to get back. Those are minutes you're never going to get back. And if K State is less conservative with that, they think they I think they win this game relatively easily. However, Dean Wade was completely ineffective when he was out there. I 
I don't know what's wrong with the guy. It looks like he was sick. I, I mean, he looked like he was out of breath most of the time when he was sitting on the bench. Think he could still be injured? I don't think that the injury is really there. Uh, it could be. I don't know. But I think he seemed to be fighting some sort of illness because it didn't seem like he had any energy uh, when he was in, and he also didn't seem like – I mean, it was – you listen to Steve Lapis call the game – which, he is what a joy. Yeah, and I love Steve Lapis because he's got that thick northeastern accent. You know, he's he's and he's a guy that is he loves college basketball. And he knows, you know, a wealth about it. But he is imploring Dean Wade to shoot the ball. I mean, begging him to shoot the ball. And Dean Wade's not really interested in it. No, he's, no thank you. So it's extremely frustrating to see this to see this reverting back to not being an alpha for Dean. I mean, he should go out there, and he should be able to get 15 points in his sleep against Tulsa. And I think he should have, and I think if, if K-State uh, gets that kind of contribution, now, Grant, he might not be feeling the best, and he might not be playing well, and he might not be, you know, 100%. That, that's entirely, you know, a, a, up for debate. But this is a game K-State had absolutely no business losing. And I think with... Letting a couple of players play in foul trouble, this is what's most frustrating to me, is the guys that are have foul trouble are veterans. They can play without picking up fouls. And I think it's time that Bruce Weber changes his stance on this and changes his philosophy because this is going to continue to hurt K-State in games when Barry Brown, Xavier Sneed, Dean Wade picks up two fouls with 12 minutes left of the first half. And you lose them for 12 minutes a game when, oh, well, at least you have them for the second half. Well, K-State might not be in the game at that point. So it's a lost cause at that point. So, I, Bruce, I know you're listening. Consider giving these guys a little bit longer leash. Yeah, come on. Up- come on, Scorpion. Show some, show some chutzpah. Let's, let's see some aggression here. Don't be such a pansy with the fouls. Come on, Bruce. I know, I know you can do it. I know you can do it. So Well, we'll see if they can uh, right the ship this Saturday at 7 o'clock when they take on the Georgia State Panthers. And the Panthers themselves are no slouches. They just knocked off the Crimson Tide down uh, down in Tuscaloosa, 83-80. to and So they have Chattanooga tonight because, of course, today is Wednesday. Uh, and so we'll see what they can do against Chattanooga at 6 p.m. this evening. Well, there's palpable buzz surrounding this Panthers team. And this is a team, uh, as you may remember, upset Baylor a few years ago in a NCAA tournament game. I believe they're a 14 seed. Uh, R.J. Hunter, who was drafted in the first round, his, his father, Ron Hunter, still the coach there at Georgia State. And unfortunately, Wildcat fans, this is not a great matchup for K-State because Georgia State is going to play zone and make you hit outside shots, which K-State has shown is a chore for them. So... You might see the name on the program, Georgia State. Uh, home game, K-State wins, double double digits, easily, no question. Don't be so sure about this. I think K-State will win this game, but uh, Georgia State has, like you said, gone on the road and beat Alabama. And, Drew, would you click on that game? Because I can't remember the exact, um, exact uh, numbers on it, but Georgia State came back from a 22-point or was it 21-point halftime uh, deficit. Uh, let's see. They uh, they outscored Alabama fifty-two to twenty-eight 
in the second half to win by three points. So my math says that they were uh, they were losing by 21 points. So even if you get up on them, it's not uh, it's not a foregone conclusion. Alabama, not a great team, but uh, you know middle of the road SEC team. But right now, when you look at what K State's done offensively, uh, it is not the kind of team you want to see uh, come into Manhattan. A team that's comfortable playing zone, plays a pretty good zone, and is going to force the Wildcats to make some outside shots. Well, what better opportunity for K State to get its shooting woes? Uh, figured out than against a team that they'll need to do that. Uh, they'll need to shoot well on Saturday. Well, as we wrap up um, the current state of the Wildcat basketball team, we now transition into this week's Wildcat legend. And folks, D. Louie over here has given me the opportunity to bring in this Wildcat legend uh, in special style here. Drew, this week's Wildcat legend is number 22 from Rockford, Illinois, Frank Richards. That was my best Ivan Wilkinson impression. By the way, Ivan Wilkinson, that guy, I know where you're going with this. I know, you know where I'm going with this. I think I do. That guy's up there with. Stan Weber, he's up there with Chris Sork, he's up there with D. Scott, he's up there with uh, Chili Dog Matt Walters. Mm-hmm. Ivan Wilkinson is an icon of K-State sports, and, I, and it, it, it's disappointing that we hadn't recognized that prior to today. Well, not only is this a Wildcat legend, um, but also a crowning of a new Wildcat icon. Wow, this is a historic. This is, folks. I hope you're, I hope you remember where you are when you heard this because uh, this is a, a watershed moment here in the short side option and also Kansas State history. Yeah, absolutely an icon. Uh, but getting back to a legend, I don't, I don't think Frank Richards has, has quite reached icon status, but he's certainly a wildcat. He's not legend. far off. That that much I will tell you. <clears throat> As we all know, uh, Frank Richards was a strong, smooth handling point guard. Uh, who possessed good size, as Chris mentioned. He is from Rockford, Illinois. He was 6'2", went to Jefferson High School, but he was also one of the most coveted junior college point guards in the 2002 class, as he was ranked number four in his position by recruiting analyst Rick Ball of the Sporting News. Uh, and, and I just want to interrupt you. I've always long admired Rick Ball's eye for point guard talent, and I think that he, that is well acquitted here. Especially among the junior college ranks. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, but he was a scoring point guard. He was a slasher. He, that's where his he really excelled. But you know what? He also had a reputation as a as a distributor of the basketball. Uh, I mentioned his junior college days. He played uh, two seasons at Olney Central uh, Community College in Olney, Illinois. Uh, that was uh, when Jim Glash was. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, heading yeah, that's Olney. right. Uh, while at only he averaged 14 points and 4.6 assists, and uh, he was awarded All-Region honors as a sophomore. And that only squad went on to uh, win 20 games and lose only 10. Uh, in his career case K-State, that 2002-2003 season... Instant impact. Instant impact and instant legend. He averaged 
13 points a game. He shot uh, a really respectable 20% from three. Um, and we talked about his ball distribution. 6.4 assists per game. Uh, he regressed a little bit in 2003-2004, where he only uh, got 8.7 points per game. Uh, but still, that's really impressive. Uh, his three-point shooting... Uh, also teetered a little bit where he only got 18% from three. But uh, you know what? In 2002, 2003, he was also uh, had 146 assists that season. That was good enough for sixth in the conference. And so really a legendary career, whether it was for Olney, whether it was as a Wildcat, but uh, absolutely a lot to be impressed with from Frank Richards. Do you have any memories of Frank? I have two memories of Frank Richards. Uh, one, uh, which is beautifully captured uh, by Drew. I think we need to add another icon to the list. Uh, Fatty for KSU, of course, a well-documented uh, K-State fan. And his impact still being uh, felt today by um, his name living on as part of Fatty Fest. And, and uh, his videos, of course, living on. Uh, but he captures uh, a big shot that Frank Richards hit in uh, in Ahern Fieldhouse Jr. against the Kansas Jayhawks. Three on the shot clock. They have to take a wild three and hit it. Frank Richards knocked down kind of a wild tray, and all of a sudden, this is a five-point ball game with 4-11 to play, and the Wildcats hanging tough. In Ahern Fieldhouse Jr. against the Kansas Jayhawks as he calls it, uh, to cut the lead down to five with four minutes left to go as K-State is looking to upset the Jayhawks. Uh, but I also remember Frank for a another moment, a moment that ranks in kind of a, well, not kind of, but a, a sour spot in a lot of K-State, a longstanding K-State basketball fans' minds. And I'm going to take you back to the Pasco fiasco. Oh, no. I'm doing it. So... K-State's, of course, we all know the story. Uh, it goes, or K-State's down, goes ahead. Colorado inbounds. Purvis Pasco intercepts the pass, travels with the ball, allowing Colorado a chance to, uh, to bank in a three to eliminate us from the Big 12 tournament. But one thing that people forget, Drew, is that... K-State's not in that position to win that game if it's not for the heroics of Frank Richards. Frank Richards drives into the paint. little teardrop splash. Wow. K-State has a lead. Now, K-State ends up losing that game, but not due to any part of Frank Richards' heroics. And I think that's just one reason. That Frank Richards is this week's icon. Wildcat legend. All right, we're going to get into our final segment here. Uh, a segment we call Ask the Icon, where listeners can submit their very own questions to the short side options. Chris, the icon, Sork. Those questions can be submitted by posing them to the short side options Twitter account at TSSO underscore podcast. Or using the hashtag AskTheIcon, or shouting him to us, or mailing us postcards, 
from wherever you may be. Or accosting us on the street. Or accosting us on the street. Or uh, or coming sneaking into our house and repainting our walls uh, with your question. Yeah. And, we'll, and we'll find it when we get home and we'll read it on the air and on the icon will answer it. That's how it works. Um, now you've got some, you got some uh, people are wanting to hear from you on a couple things here too. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you're right. Yeah, a co- there are a couple, and we'll see if we get to those. Uh, the first question uh, is, I, you know what? I think it's appropriate um, because we are here in the Christmas season, of course, and we've all we've all just gone through a fairly tense time. Uh, with this coaching search, mm-hmm. uh, listener Joey Kinney at Jay Kinney nineteen eighty seven asks: Christmas music, overrated, underrated, or properly rated? Criminally underrated. Oh, really? I love Christmas music. What's your favorite Christmas song? Um, my favorite Christmas song. <sighs> wow. Probably it's the most wonderful time of the year by Andy Williams. Oh really? Mm-hmm. It's the most wonderful time of the year. That's very well done. Thank you. If I didn't know any better, I'd say Andy Williams is sitting right next to me. <laughs> well, all those voice lessons are starting to pay off. That's right. Yeah. No, what what say you though? Uh, I don't want to get into it. It's okay. it's your segment. Okay. And the, along those same lines, uh, listener nicknamed Kansas uh, at nicknamed Kansas. At nickname KS, uh, he poses a question to me under the hashtag AskDLU, but I'm not going to entertain this nonsense. Uh, this is for you, Icon. You've been saying the lynch mob was back, then gone, then back again. What are your thoughts on how climbing will? Uh, what are your thoughts on how the climbing hire will affect the lynch mob going forward? Well, uh, nickname or how how are we pronounce this? Uh, nice name. N I C N A M E. I've always called him. He's a he's a long-standing BBSer. So. Yes, of course. But I've never quite known how to pronounce. I've always uh, assumed it was nickname. Okay, we're going to nickname KS. Um, apparently, uh, D. Louis over here has fallen silent. But I'll go ahead and say it. The mob is back, baby. And I endorse that answer. Okay, so there there we go. It's baby. back. It's back. Uh, listener Ep. EP at Johnny underscore Eppleyseed asks, what are your impressions, your first impressions on new head coach Chris Kleiman's hair? Guys, it's bad. Really? You would it's, not, it's not your, it's bad. It's not, it's, it's not looking good. Well, what were your thoughts on Bill Snyder's hair? Not great. And what are your thoughts on Stan Weber's hair? Immaculate. Going away. <laughs> it's falling out. <laughs> My hair is going away. Uh, okay, so ooh, harsh words there. I, I think the hair prize belongs in Bramlage among the kids. Oh, head absolutely. Coaches. No ooh. question. Great oh. looking mop on Bruce. Absolutely. Uh, listener Steve Z at SL Keck uh, asks What three current K State assistant coaches would you choose to stay on climate staff? Um, three coaches that I would say, um, and I think I, I have seen, uh, I saw, um, Steve's question and he had referenced Taylor Brate, um, who of course, uh, has gained notoriety for his, 
Photos? <laughs> I was just going to say enthusiasm, but yeah. Uh, yeah, the photos also play into that as well. Uh, but certainly an enthusiastic guy, uh, a guy that has um, really stepped up on the recruiting trail as K-State's gone through this uh, coaching transition. But, you know, I, I would say he definitely should keep his his, his spot as a rec- recruiting coordinator. Yeah, not quite a uh, assistant coach per se. Yeah, not not an on the field coach, but or or maybe you tell me. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Do you think that they should promote him to assistant coach to the point where he could actually travel on behalf of K State and recruit? Um. So this is a little bit of a. To answer this question, I have to kind of answer another, and that's if Sean Snyder's going to be back, because Taylor Braid had helped out as a quality control guy for the special teams. And if Sean Snyder is not going to be the special teams coach uh, with uh, Chris Kleiman, I would I would fully endorse uh, Taylor Bray to take that over. However, you know, there's been plenty of talk about was part of the assistant coach negotiation, which we alluded to earlier. Was that keeping a job open for Sean? I don't. We don't know, but. If uh, if K State needs a special teams coach, I I wouldn't have any problem with with Taylor Bray taking that position. Um, but to answer uh, Steve's question, which is a very good question, good job there uh, by Steve. Good job from him there. Um, I'd say Blake Siler uh, should would stay. Um, Norwood, I think they bring some good energy out on the recruiting trail, and then Fabris. No, no, not not him or Mo Lattimore probably aren't aren't making it on here. I might say it, it to me. It's a, a two person race here for the final spot uh, between Colin Klein and um, Eric Hickson. Not real strong on necessarily keeping either one of those. I think uh, Colin Klein would probably have to take a demotion. Because uh, I would assume Chris Kleiman is going to bring in his own offensive coordinator with this. Um, but I would say probably Colin Klein. I think he's maybe a little bit more dynamic on the recruiting trail, and that's, excuse me, certainly something uh, that K-State could benefit with uh, going forward. Yeah, on the other hand, if I can interject here, uh, I, would, I wouldn't hate Klein to – not be retained just for the purpose of sure we've talked about this before go too. fly yeah. go, go spread your wings yeah. uh, go coach go coach somewhere go coach something somewhere under a good coach and maybe we'll see you in six or seven or ten or fifteen years sure. and we'll uh we'll check in with you then <clears throat> but great question stevie uh, our next question comes from listener brett henning at brett w henning on twitter Brett says, first, hello, the icon and D-Lou. <laughs> hello, Brett. Uh, what is the last song you listened to? Icon? The last song I listened to? Yeah. I believe when I left um, my my car as I got out of it uh, when I returned home, what was playing on Sirius XM Radio, channel 25, Classic Rewind, was Jamie's Crying by Van Halen. That was Wait, the last thing I listened to. You were listening to music? You weren't listening to sports? I wasn't. 
Can you believe that? Even, even sometimes the icon has to take a break from uh, from sports. What uh, about you? Uh, I think it was uh, last night. I think the last song I listened to was called Once in a While by the band uh, Don't Stop or We'll Die. Don't Stop or We'll Die? That's the na- Yeah, that's the name of the band. Who are they? It's, it's a... It's a band that does a lot of comedy songs, but they also have some legitimate songs that aren't... I don't know. It's Paul Rust is in it. He's really funny. Hey, well, I'll tell you He's one a, thing. He, he, this band sounds like no Harry Belafonte. That much I, that much <laughs> I can tell you. They're not the Mavericks. Uh, let's see. Our next question comes from listener David Sabin at Sabin Nation. Hey, Icon and Drew. Sabin says. Hello, David. He asks, please tell me who you would choose to MFK. Do you know what that is? No, I don't. Uh, is this is this maybe somewhat dicey situation that we might be getting into? It's uh, it's marry, fight, or kiss. Okay. Okay. So you you have to marry one of the options. Okay. You have to fight the other option. Then you have to kiss the third option. Smooch them. Oh, wow. Play okay. a big wet one. You know, I don't, I don't think the yeah, icon wants to listen to this question. Okay, we can we, move we, on. Let's just move on. Yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not in, this seems a little soft. It's a little lowbrow. Yeah, right. which is just not quite, uh, you know, my style yep. really here as, as the premier K-State sports podcast. Yeah, bad job, David Saban. Uh, bad job by you there. In uh, our final question, we move to the higher brow region of the K-State, the short side option listener uh, uh, fan base, with the Scotty Pippen of parenting at Ben Trin. Ben asks, or Ben starts off his question as follows. Zizek tells us, quote, the problem for us is not our desires satisfied or not. The problem is how do we know what we desire? Wow. Then he asks this question. What did the Kansas State fan base desire during the coaching search? Wow, that's a that's a great one to end us on here. And I think what K State fans desired uh, during this coaching search was something new, and they got that to an extent. But I think they wanted an infusion of young, offensive minded coach, and instead they got a, a not young. But not old either. I think Chris Kleiman's 51 years old, but more of a defensive-minded head coach. However, they got a coach that has a track record of winning, so I think that's what most K-State fans are are um, are holding on to here a little bit. Um, but definitely, probably not what they had desired at the beginning of this coaching search. Um, when I say that they wanted a young offensive mind, obviously the uh, the the favorite candidate uh, by all was Brent Venables, who, of course, earns his money on the defensive side of the ball. So a little bit different there, but that didn't really ever seem to be an option, uh, unfortunately. But uh, K-State doesn't necessarily get a an offensive guy, but they get a guy that's won. And I think that's what most K-State fans are, are hoping for. Absolutely. So uh, that, that concludes our uh, philosophy corner. Is I think uh, is what we're terming the questions from Scotty Pippen of parenting from now on. Uh, and then one more listener note uh, as we get into our uh, Ask the Icon listener mail segment. Uh, David Sabin, who posed that 
really inappropriate question earlier. Uh, has a couple additional names. Uh, if you remember last week, we were trying to think off the cuff about uh, FBS mascots that are singular in nature, like the Crimson Tide or the Orange. Wolfpack and, yeah. Yeah. and uh, Green Wave. That's right. He submits the Marshall Thundering Herd, of course. K-State mm-hmm. fans should certainly remember Marshall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also the Illinois Fighting Illini, mm. which is a bad job by me because I attended uh, the University of Illinois for a period of time. And I've been to Illini football games and basketball games. That's right. I, you did go to Illinois. And uh, that is, as, as uh, David mentioned there, that's a bad job by you. That's, that's, a, a, that's hey, a bad job. Hey, it was a bad job by me. And, right. But, hey, goal number four, improve, get a little bit better every day. And I, I promise to uh, work on that in the future. Well, with that, um, with that statement of continued improvement... Mm-hmm. That will uh, wrap us up here on this edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. I want to thank the listeners uh, for listening with us here. Uh, obviously, a lot of uh, things have been going on in, in the K-State world uh, with the new head coach, Chris Kleiman. Uh, basketball team off to a little bit of a rough start, but I'm still not too worried about the basketball team, but uh, a nice convincing victory over Georgia State on Saturday would do a lot to quell uh, any worries kind of around the fan base and uh, especially be nice to see K-State just come out and have a nice dominating win. Yeah, and plus we'll be able to stick it to all our Georgia State co-workers around the coffee. Oh, gosh, that's right, too. The, the water cooler, I've just been hearing it from them a lot just this chirping. past week. Just, just chirping. Just really making fun of us for losing to Tulsa and the whole climbing stuff they're giving me a hard time about, and I just really want to take it to them on the hard way. Well, uh, K-State's going to have that opportunity on Saturday. Uh, Should be a a fun one. I'll be there for it, so looking forward to that. Uh, That'll do it here on this edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. Thanks for listening, and go Cats!